Hi, and welcome to Coming Around. I'm your host and your friend and your family member, Joey Torres. This is a storytelling podcast that will bring you weekly, hopefully, episodes from the people in my life, my friends, my family, my colleagues, that focus on the personal roots of perspective change. By this, I mean the stories that focus on those little moments that cause us in our everyday life to pause and to reflect and to think, hmm, that felt different. That felt new. I had never thought of it like that. And really highlight those moments in all of our journeys, those moments that cause us to think differently about someone, to grow in how we uh, view a group of people or change in the ways that we grew up. This first episode focuses on me. Uh, I wanted to have an episode that really rooted you all, the listeners, in why I decided to do this project in the first place. Fills you in a little bit of my background and what led me to this moment right here and right now. Along the way, you'll hear my sister, Amber Perez, who interviews me in this episode zero, as I'm calling it. So please listen, get to know me, hang out, and more than anything, prepare yourselves for what's ahead. Beyond this first sort of episode zero thing, prepare yourself for conversations that I've had with friends and family that are thoughtful, that are personal, sometimes emotional, sometimes funny, but always heartfelt stories of growth and perspective change from you all, the people in my life. So enjoy, have fun, listen, and welcome to Coming Around. When starting a podcast, you never really know where to begin. Um, I came up with the idea of coming around after years and years of work and study on figuring out who people are and what motivates them. And so for me, I think an interesting place for this podcast to start would be letting you all know a little bit more about me. And in order to do that, I wanted to ask someone who knows me pretty well. And that's my sister. Say hi, Em. Hello. My sister's Amber, and she and I live in the same city, and she was able to help me with this. And so I wanted to help. I wanted her to help me create a picture of where this all came from. So we're going to kind of work on this together. So Em, why don't you get us started? Awesome. Yeah. So exactly like Joey said, um, we were, we are six years apart. And so I have always been baby sister. And so it's been really cool for me now as an adult to relearn um, my siblings, uh, Joey specifically, and become friends, become sort of peers in a weird way. Um, And so I think I wanted to get started. I guess just tell me a little bit about about you, um, sort of first where, where you're from, sort of those logistic-y things, um, where you're from, what, what you do, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm from Albuquerque, born and raised, grew up there on the West side. I come from a big Mexican family. We both do. Um, we had a lot of love in our family. It centers us sort of in how we know the world, at least for me. And that's really where I come from. I come from that world. I come from big parties and 
crazy family time. And it's loud and it's wild and it's interesting. And when you want to be the center of attention, you can. And when you want to sit back and sort of take it all in, you can. And really, you, because our family was so big, you had a lot of opportunity to enter in any kind of way that you needed or wanted. And I always felt like we had a lot of love and support from our family in that way that you can really kind of, you know, in a collectivistic family, you can really kind of bring whoever you are to the table. And the rule is you love them anyway. So we accepted imperfections. We accepted uh, those wild times. We accepted really just everyone for who they were. And that I think is my foundation. We were really lucky to have matriarchs on both sides of our family, our grandmas on our mom and dad's side. And they not only cared for us all and loved us all in their various ways and in their imperfect ways as well, but they taught the rest of the family how to love us and care for us as well. So growing up, we didn't have just a mom and a dad. We had aunts and uncles who acted as parents. We had grandparents who we lived with who acted as parents. Our siblings did a lot of parenting. And that really is how we became the people that we are today. Um, Open-minded, I would say, inclusive, I would say, really uh, willing to accept a lot of people for who they are, sort of like at their core and and love them anyway. I remember I had a friend once say, uh, we love easily in Mexican families. And I agree with that. And I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but I do realize that every once in a while that thought comes into my mind, like, why do I like this person? Or why am I struggling with this person and, and don't want to let them go? Or why, why do I grapple with things, um, but still hold on to them? And I realize it's because we have this deep foundation of love in our family that um, teaches us how to love through a lot that sometimes teaches us how to love too much and how to hold on too long. But I think the core of it is that you love toward your best way to uh, love unconditionally. And I care a lot about that. And so as a child, that's really how I grew up. Um, It's as I became, um, as I studied in college and sort of began to find my place in the world, I recognized that that love perspective really was at the center of who I am and what I want to do in the world. I want people to feel loved. I want people to feel cared for. I want people to feel included. I want people to feel like they have family. And so that has inspired the kind of work that I want to do. I was just talking the other night with a friend about, he asked me, how did you decide to do what you do? And I said, when I was in college, I remember very clearly my second to last semester, I was having to make decisions about what I wanted to do when I was done. And I realized one thing I knew I wanted to do was to help. And I didn't know what that looked like. And I didn't know in what capacity that would really be for my life. All I knew was that I wanted to help. And so professionally, after my undergrad, I just kept pursuing that, finding more and more opportunities to help, looking for corners of the world of people who are not being cared for, and just continue to pursue that work. So that's really, I think, where where I have come from. You know, the root of that, like I mentioned, that big Mexican family where you love easily, you love a lot. You love through imperfections. And I think that has inspired me to be the kind of adult that I am now, which is constantly pursuing love, thinking about love as like a really tangible thing, not just love as this big theoretical concept or 
maybe even a religious concept, but an actual tangible thing that people need to experience love, people need to feel love, people need to feel included. I think that has really brought me to where I am right now. Yeah. It's so interesting that you talk so much about love um, because I think when you write just some of the, you know, like the anecdotal parts of our childhood um, or just life, it maybe didn't always look like love. Um, Was there, would you say, like, do you have moments where you remember making that switch or saying like, oh, wow, like maybe, maybe what we looked like or what looked like chaos a lot of times growing up, because there was, there was a lot of that too. Right. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, Did you have moments where you, where you came, where you had to realize like, love is sort of bigger than these things, or it was sort of laced in what, you know, what were these chaotic moments? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think one that should be at the center of this project, this podcast is really learning how to find love in moments that seem unlovable, really learning how to find moments of humor that don't seem funny I think for us growing up, we were forced to do that, right? Like we, we didn't have many moments that were funny and we made them funny. We didn't have many moments that seemed like they could love through and we did love through them. And I'm really thankful for that because I think it taught me as an adult, how to be a loving person in a lot of different kinds of environments, especially environments that don't feel loving. And I think the idea for coming around is that very things like, how do you love through something that is difficult. Or I think the inverse is how do you love when you were taught not to love that thing? Or how do you love when you were taught that that thing isn't lovable? For me, those are the most compelling stories as an adult is watching people learn how to love someone or something in a way that they were never allowed to, or never thought could experience love. And yeah, I mean, that definitely stems from our childhood. It was hard. It was, it was hard to learn how to love in some of those moments. But I tell you, like that ability to learn how to love in those moments has made my adult perspective so much more loving. And I sort of seek it out and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I really do think I'm motivated by this like constant pursuit of how to love better, how to love to a neutral place, right? Like how to make things that are bad feel loving, how to make things that are really terrible, find peace. And for me, that sort of like the way to combat that hardship or that rough time or that space where there is not that is with love. I think like that has been one of the most valuable parts of my adult life is is learning those lessons, you know, whether it be through, through Joey or, you know, through some of our other siblings or even through people, we've got some textbook, unlovable people, unlovable moments that have happened in our family and, and learning to sort of not see through it or to see past it, but to see, to see that life is bigger than that. My second question for you is just like, have you, what moments in your life, you know, or what, what parts of your life have brought you to, to the point where you are now, whether it be school moments in, you know, just throughout childhood and, you know, with friendships and relationships, but what, what are some of those moments that have brought you to where you are now? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question. I'm not sure that there is any one particular event that has brought me here, but I think for me, studying religion has been a really impactful time in my life. I got a master's in divinity, which is the degree you get when you want to become a pastor. And I thought that I was going to become a pastor. I thought I would lead a church congregation. And that felt really revolutionary to me because I am a very out and proud queer person. And I, you know, that's one space in society where a lot of people like me were told that we couldn't experience love. And lo and behold, so many people around me came around uh, so many churches. I helped participate in so many churches and with and so many Christian people that I helped to see that they could come around on the issue of queerness and the church. Yeah, those are episodes in themselves, right? <laughs> I know. Um, I'm actually trying really hard not to just focus on that because that could be its own series. Um, and so for me, I think that's one of the biggest things that brought me to where I am is loving myself and caring so much about myself and people like me and even people who aren't like me, but um, loving myself in a space that taught me that actually you might not deserve love like everyone else deserves love was not ever an option, right? Tying back into my childhood and our big Mexican family, that was not an option. Our church at home was that you love everyone through everything and there's always going to be a roof over your head and there's always going to be food in your belly because that's what love meant for us. And so to experience a church and, a, and religion really at a time, and you know, we can get into this later, when religion served us in a really meaningful way and God served us and we, and we loved God in a way that gave us so much peace and comfort to go to the community where those people existed and say, actually, you might not belong here or, you know, we're not going to love you in those same ways. And then that feeling like a challenge because that wasn't the world I grew up in, right? Like everyone had inherent worth and value and, and received love. And so to be able to help convince people in that world, help them to come around to the idea of loving queer people because they love me, right? Like I could be this example, like, oh, I, you know, I thought these kinds of people were all going to hell. I thought they were all one kind of person or, you know, they all cared about, you know, some one kind of thing. And if my presence could help illuminate that that wasn't true and that there are ways to come around to loving people who were different than them and who um, were just not in, in, you know, uh, straight relationships, that was a moment for me that helped me not only to care about helping people to come around, but it helped me to also want to create space like that for people. It helped me desire, um, a fullness and a wholeness for queer people to experience church. I think also, you know, queerness is not being my only identity moving to Denver, Colorado, where I live now and experiencing a predominantly white middle and upper class and, you know, having gone through college and moved up here to work professionally, I, there were not a lot of people who were like me, first generation college student, Latino. Um, and, you know, I have white skin. And so I was able to pass in a lot of spaces and a lot of rooms that maybe my browner brothers and sisters or my, um, my brothers and sisters with accents or things like that, maybe they wouldn't have been allowed into. And so when I started entering that 
middle and upper class life and I was a public high school teacher, I started to realize that there was something about that perspective that was missing. I missed my other Mexican family and friends. I missed that there weren't more people like me at the, at, at the head of the classroom. And, and so when I started to recognize that and started to take a step back and thought, wow, like really, what is this? What is the bigger problem here? Why aren't there more people like me here? And then the inverse of that is like, why are there people who only look like me here and not more people who come from the same kind of background? Um, I started to realize, wow, this is another space where people really need to learn how to come around. There's a system here that is negatively impacting, um, you know, Latinx people from being able to access higher education. There's something going on here that is preventing these people from believing in themselves. Even, even, even my, uh, you know, my Latinx friends and family, there was something preventing them from seeing themselves as college students or as someone who could go into a classroom and teach or someone who could go to college and get a degree and leave that and go into the workforce. There was something about the system that was preventing people from, from doing that. So sometimes the coming around part of this whole thing is talking to people of color and saying, you're, you value, you're, you're, you experience, you can be a value here. Your, your presence is necessary and valued here. I'm sure those weren't, um, just all on your own. Do you have any people or like key influencers who, who've really encouraged you or maybe just friends who've like really encouraged you to, to, to go for it or to like really start speaking up or, or standing up for, for yourself, for others? Yeah. I mean, that's like a very good and big and hard question. So as you know, Amber, because she's your mom too, (laughs) our mom passed away uh, a few years ago and that she was 100% without a doubt, the most positive influence in my life. And she was not without her stresses and troubles. She was a hard woman to love sometimes. But I think um, she taught us what I think she was the person at the core of that belief I shared earlier, which is she really taught us how to love through a lot. Um, And so I think she was probably the biggest influencer in my life in terms of like how I see the world and in terms of how I love myself and how I want other people to love themselves. I think she was the person that really made that possible for me. And, you know, we come from a, in our family, in our culture, we come from a long line of women who have loved me like mothers. And I still continue to acquire those kinds of relationships. So I think those are the people who continue to influence me. Uh, My mom passed the torch spiritually, I would say to some very powerful women in my life. And I think having the perspective from women is really important and impactful for me as a queer person, but as someone who in some spaces could easily not look or seem like a queer person, whatever that means. And so bringing the perspective of the women who have influenced my life to those spaces and started to recognize, wow, like there really are no women in this room. There really are no queer people in this room. There really are no, uh, there really isn't a lot of space for people who aren't just men who aren't just straight men. And uh, I think having those voices in my head and, and like also just being so positively impacted by the feminine, being so positively impacted by what it means to be soft 
And not just because I'm queer, but because I come from the family I do, the men in my family are soft in a really beautiful way. They are emotional and sensitive and open and caring and um, straight men and, and queer men combined. And so I feel like that not just my mom, but my mom's mom and and the mother, all the mothers in my life have really, I think been the most influential. And then teachers, honestly, um, in high school, we had a lot of our, our home, as you know, was really rough. And I retreated into school as a refuge and as a place where I was experiencing success and I was experiencing uh, community and I was experiencing fun and, um, yeah, I really retreated into school and had some of the most amazing teachers that I, I would still consider friends, uh, people who challenged me, people who said, you can do this, keep going. People who said, you're bright and you're half-assing this, put in more work. Um, I was I was very positively impacted by my teachers, um, which is why the first job I had after college, I guess that's not true, the second job I had after college was teaching, even though I would argue that most of my jobs have focused on teaching as an aspect of the work. <clears throat> my first job that brought me to Denver was teaching. And I knew that that was, you know, I mentioned earlier about wanting to give back and wanting to help. And that's sort of the guiding force that I use to motivate whatever sort of my next professional endeavor is. And, um, you know, it's because of the teachers that impacted my life when I was in high school, people who really showed up for me, people who really said, you got this and, and get off your ass and continue to get it right. Like you got this, go do more. Um, and like I mentioned, the, the success, like I was, that was the first place I ever learned like, oh, wow, I'm good at something, right? Like I'm good at arguing. I'm good at, um, putting my thoughts into words. I'm good at uh, singing. I was, I was really lucky to have a really fun and engaging choir life in high school. And, um, it was really a fun time. And yeah, so those were, I think the most influential sort of like bodies of people that have impacted my life and my perspective. Was that even your question? <laughs> Somewhat just kidding. Yes. totally. <laughs> um, so you would say that it probably, you know, this line of work has been since maybe even since high school, I mean, growing sort of in you your whole life, but you've started thinking differently. I remember you told me a specific story once about um, a friend that you had and just, he was a person of color and, and, and knowing even as a kid that the way that people treated him in stores was different than the way they treated you in stores. And so even as a high schooler already figuring out like your place in the world as an advocate and, and what that would turn into. Um, and so, and so fast forward X number of years later, um, what are you doing right now? Explain sort of how those have influenced, um, your current work, um, and what you do and what you're doing right now in, in the community, whether it be through education or, um, relationships. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. I think, for me, part of what I've decided to do the last few years is to continue to pursue education as a means to help community. So for me, education has been the conduit that gets me to being able to access community that informs me so that I can go back and teach community. And that's really where I am right now. I, like I mentioned, I was a public high school educator for four years. 
loved parts of it, really hated other parts of it. And I think the parts of it that I hated were these big systemic things that at the time I didn't really have words for. I didn't understand what it meant to think systemically, but I started to recognize, well, I wanted to help entire communities. And I thought being a high school principal was going to be the way that got me there. And while that is true for some people, I found that it wasn't going to be true for me. I wanted bigger change. I started to recognize that For example, I worked at a high school that served all pregnant and parenting young women and girls. Uh, So they were between the ages of 14 and 21. And at that school, I noticed it was mostly young women of color. And I didn't understand why. I got it right. Like I come from a Mexican family and a lot of my cousins were teen moms and young moms. And I I didn't put my finger on it being a systemic thing until I was able to be in those, those spaces and step back and go like, whoa, this is, this is not just a coincidence. This isn't just, this isn't just young Mexican women being young Mexican women, that there was something else in place. And as I have gone to find out lots of things in place that made that be true that, um, and, and also I believe in, in, in autonomy for women. And I believe that, even young women can decide to be parents. And so I don't want this to sound judgmental toward that, but I also recognize for those who weren't deciding for themselves what it meant to be a parent or who were more influenced, more influenced by outside, uh, outside people who were deciding for them that they would be parents and stay parents if they were pregnant or become parents if they were pregnant. I started to realize that there was something systemic happening that was bigger than each individual situation, right? Like, why was this happening to this community in, in, in these numbers? And so when I was doing that, that was my last year of teaching. And I thought, you know what? There's something about this that isn't making, that isn't making me feel good, right? There's something about being a teacher and like my impact felt really limited and I couldn't figure it out. And so I took a step back. I went to get a master's. Uh, that's like I mentioned earlier. I, I went to school to become a pastor and I thought that was going to be my way. Right. Like, okay, I thought I was going to be a teacher, which maybe within I would become a an administrator or a principal. And okay, let me step back. That's not going to be my way. I'm going to be a pastor. I can still affect community, right? I can still do the community change I wanted to do, but less restricted by a school district. That wasn't making a lot of sense to me at that time. And so I decided to go get a a degree in becoming a pastor. And I happened to go to this very, very progressive institution that encouraged me to think outside of many, many boxes. And, uh, and through that space, I got to learn a lot about what systems were. I got to learn about power and privilege and hierarchy and, um, privileging certain kinds of voices and, and oppressing other kinds of voices. And that was I, it wasn't until that point where I finally learned the language around these big picture ideas that were making me feel so unsettled as a teacher, as a community worker, as a public health uh, advocate and educator. It was finally when I got into those spaces where like, this is, this is systemic. This is big picture stuff that is ingrained into our country as a whole. And it takes the work of changing each person one by one to then go and change the system that I thought, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm hoping for. I need to change hearts and minds so that I can change the system.
And it, it took finally stepping into that, that role where, oh yeah, you could go and become a community leader. You can go and become a pastor, but you can also go and become uh, a social change advocate all with this almost like spiritual lens to it. And so that's really what brought me to this, this next phase. And as I was, as I was getting my master's, I really started to recognize that the church in itself was potentially a part of the problem and propping up some of these systems that negatively impacted well, queer people for one, most obviously, but also um, was the root of what I, I, I started to believe anyway, the root of, um, uh, the negative impact on women, the root of the negative impact on society, on economics. It really was the root of um, a lot. It was, I guess, maybe not the root, but the home for a lot of the ways that these big systemic problems were being captured, right? Like you have certain kinds of people that believe certain kind of things are ordained by God to be, just be true. And for me, I'm like, that's BS. And I want to tackle that. So as I pulled out of education to start understanding systems a little bit better, I got into that place. I'm like, actually, this thing also needs to be challenged. So I took a step outside of that and decided, you know what, I want to go and um, get a PhD. I'm not done thinking about these questions that I have. And actually, I have a lot more. And so again, taking this other step out, I thought, what is it about religion as this like core fundamental part of our country? What is it about religion that is perpetuating these things? What is it about religion that isn't coming around? What is it about religion that is so ingrained? Like, what is it about a belief in God that makes things feel so permanent, etched in stone, literally for some folks? Um, and so I decided to pursue some of these questions through a PhD. And that's what I've been doing the last three years, I guess, almost four as I've been asking these questions. And so the work I've been doing the last two years more specifically is asking, how did these communities, how did these church communities get to the place where they are? And what is what influenced that? I guess more specifically, let me not beat around the bush. More specifically, I started to recognize that even progressive churches, which are few and far between, I admit, but even progressive churches still seemed to be hindered by a lot of these old ways of sort of operating in the world, right? Like they were still mostly white and they said they cared about poor people, but there weren't ever poor people there. And um, they said they served poor people and, and those in need. And I really didn't see that. And um, they just, their, the words coming out of their mouths didn't really align with their actions between Sundays, as I like to say. I didn't see a lot happening between Sundays. And so that's the question that I've been asking these last couple of years through my PhD is how did even progressive church spaces get to a place where their words don't align with their actions? And what does that do for the communities around them? What does that do for the people who go there? And what is this doing for systems more broadly? If the United States knows itself as a Christian country, and even the people who are calling themselves progressive are still perpetuating some of these problems where it's mostly white people on stage and they do community and mostly what I would argue, mostly white way. It just wasn't making sense to me. And the other end of that is like, how could I use my knowledge and my, my understanding of history and sociology to help those people come around, right? If the point of this all is to come around and we're all in a constant state of coming around on issues. And when we know better, we do better. Um, how could I help influence those people? And so that's where I am right now, is really understanding the history, understanding how and why people think the way they do, and then hoping to try to leverage that through stories, 
through connecting them to other people's experiences, because I believe that's really how change comes is by hearing someone who thinks differently than you and being moved and impacted by that. Hearing someone say like, actually, I think you're a progressive church, but it doesn't seem like you're doing very progressive things or you're a progressive white person, but your life doesn't really seem to be positively impacting communities of color. Do you know that? Do you know that about yourself in a non-judgmental way? Like, do you see that this is happening? And if you do see it and you want to change it, let's talk about how to change it. So that's where I am right now. Thanks for listening to Coming Around, a podcast sharing short stories about big change. I'm your host, Joey Torres. This episode is produced by Josh Perez, and the theme music is performed by Set of Lives. Listen for new episodes just about every week. And until next time, remember, if you're not listening, you're not changing.